Lou and welcome to Driving Discussions. In this series, we'll discuss the forces that affect road fuels globally. And in this episode, we're going to be discussing the recent OPEC Plus meeting, what cutbacks mean for the marketplace and how that relates to road fuels. Driving Discussions is brought to you by Argus Media, which, as many of you know, is a leading independent provider of energy and commodity price information. My name is John Demopoulos. I'm Vice President for North American Refined Products here at Argus. And with me today is David Fife, Argus's Chief Economist. Hi, John. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Uh, thanks for joining us, David. So you know that we in this particular podcast series are generally focused on uh, motor fuels. But as you and I have discussed, um, anybody that's involved in the world of motor fuels is always asking the question, what's going to happen with the price of crude? What do all of these changes mean, these OPEC changes, these OPEC decisions mean for the price of crude? And then they can relate it back to what that means for the road fuels market. So uh, I think we would love to hear from you for starters about what is going on with OPEC and how are their um, attitudes to the marketplace changing? Absolutely. Well, I mean, we've seen some fairly wild gyrations in apparent OPEC plus policy over the last two to three months. We had a situation in March where um, they essentially the Saudis said, well, okay, if you, Russia, are not going to play ball, uh, we're going to you know, supply as much as we can to the market. And we had a situation of uh, essentially a battle for market share. I think what neither the Saudis nor the Russians realized back in March uh, when they, they decided to do that, was the full extent of the collapse in oil demand, um, refined products demand that we were going to see over the course of the second quarter. Um, and therefore, in April, fairly quickly, a month later, producers got together in a hurry over the Easter weekend uh, and decided on some unprecedented cuts uh, to supply. So the OPEC plus grouping is essentially cutting near as damn it, 10 million barrels per day uh, from supply for the, the May through July period now. Uh, and then they're tapering off those cuts to about 7.8 million barrels a day through the end of 2020, and then about 5.8 million barrels per day uh, in the period through April 2022. So it's a hugely ambitious set of uh, production cuts, unprecedented in duration, unprecedented in scale. And I think we'll be watching very closely to see whether they can manage to deliver. Uh, David, remind us, when we're talking about OPEC plus, we're, we're talking about the traditional OPEC countries, uh, Russia, but but what happens with, you know, the United States, for example? Yeah, well, I mean, there's, there's you know, there's been, I mean, we we estimate that, uh, that uh, oil demand fell by about or is likely to fall by about 15 million barrels per day in the second quarter. Now, supply has sort of lagged that. Uh, We think second quarter oil supply globally is probably going to fall by about 8 million barrels per day compared to last year. Um, But the point is you have a mix in there between the sort of voluntary cuts that OPEC plus are making, but you also have producers such as the United States, uh, Norway and others who are choking back on supply, A, because of the collapse in prices and B, because they've got nowhere to put uh, the oil that they were planning to produce. So you have voluntary cuts and you have involuntary cuts, if you like, 
uh, on the other side of the scale. The U.S., uh, although politically it supports what, it, what the Saudis and the Russians are doing, uh, U.S. producers are cutting back simply because there's no demand for their oil. Yeah. And, and as you look at, I mean, one of the conversations we often have um, when it comes down to OPEC cuts is, you know, just how real are these cuts? Um, are they really complying? Is everybody doing what they said they were going to do? You would think that in this sort of climate, um, the OPEC countries are taking things pretty seriously and adhering to those planned cuts in order to avoid another precipitous fall in prices. But is that is that right? And will it last? Can we expect this sort of uh, this this um, sticking to targets to actually continue for long? Yeah, I mean, you're, you're absolutely right. We're fairly early in the process. I mean, this is a deal that at least on paper runs through April uh, 2022. So uh, it's very early in the day, but uh, I think we're close enough to $20 or sub $20 oil uh, that producers have been fairly disciplined. We've only got six weeks of uh, experience of what they've actually been doing in terms of compliance. But generally in May, uh, OPEC producers were pretty compliant, about 85% of what they said they would do, they delivered. Uh, most of OPEC was pretty compliant. The two laggards among OPEC producers were Iraq and Nigeria, uh, and they really have been struggling to meet their commitments, although they say they will try and do so over the sort of July to September period. So we might have to wait a little while to see 100% compliance from OPEC. In the non-OPEC grouping, Russia has pretty much delivered to a lot of people's surprise. Uh, And the big question is, how long do they remain compliant? Because it's very much being driven by the Russian government more than the companies in Russia, uh, because the hit from low crude prices is fundamentally borne by the Russian government much more than uh, the producing uh, companies. Uh, So politically, Russia has been four square behind the deal. uh, But will that persist? Once prices, if prices start to recover in the second half of the year, that's traditionally when you see OPEC or OPEC plus discipline beginning to fray. So it really depends on the demand profile in the second half of the year. Do we get a recovery? Do we get crude prices starting to recover? And that's when we need to keep an eye open for compliance beginning to slip. And given the, I mean, it's it's a myriad of considerations there. And you mentioned uh, you mentioned the um, Russian state's role um, in curbing Russian production, and that just you know it shows just how um, deep the political considerations around all of this are, and how you know how much really anything can impact um, some of these changes to supply and demand. And all, all of these myriad factors make my next question a very difficult one to answer. But what does all of this mean in the end? You know, from your, I guess, you know, your base case projections, what does this mean for the price of crude over the rest of the year? You know, how is how, how are we currently expecting that to develop, bearing in mind that it's really a bit of a guessing game? Absolutely. And, and, you know, arguably even more important than questions of OPEC discipline or OPEC plus discipline, although that is, is vital. It's only one side of the coin. And clearly the, the elephant in the room is to what extent does demand begin to recover? 
and 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 start growing again in the second half of the year from where we are today you'll remember i said demand arguably is off by about 15 million barrels a day in the second quarter versus last year uh, our underlying assumption is that demand starts to recover as lockdowns ease and in that situation if opec plus remains retains discipline uh, then you know we could be moving up through the 40s and a bit closer to $50 per barrel by the end of the year potentially uh, bear in mind we've got Arguably, we're going to have a, a, a stock overhang of something around 800 million barrels that has been generated by the collapse of demand uh, in the first half of the year. And that will take time to ease. The big issue is, of course, if, if we get a, a hiccup in demand, if we start to see a secondary peak uh, in COVID-19, that chokes off demand recovery in the second half of the year, and all bets would be off. But our working case is prices beginning to recover in the third quarter, and that recovery picking up momentum in the fourth quarter and through the end of the year. And we could be high 40s, 50 bucks for Brent TI uh, by the end of the year if that recovery continues and OPEC Plus retains a degree of discipline. Yeah, it it really seems incredible, doesn't it, to think that after after everything that the um, not just the oil markets, of course, but the world has been through over the past um, six months, that we could in fact be back at fifty dollar oil um, later later this year. But but it, of course, it is possible. Um, you know, one of as, as you know, I'm I'm very much focused on on the oil product side, um, and one of the things that I find interesting about the um, the rebalancing between OPEC supply and non-OPEC supply is the variation in um, product slate that you can get off those different crudes. Obviously, you know, OPEC crudes tending to be a bit more um, distillate rich, a bit heavier. Non-OPEC crudes tending to be a little bit lighter, maybe um, containing more of the, the light ends that we can use to make gasoline. Um, and so on the demand side, which we were just talking about, um, you know, we're, it feels as though we're entering a world right now where distillates are going to be, um, let's say, in, in to some extent in oversupply for the foreseeable future. Um, we have the, you know, we have jet demand probably not getting back to where it used to be for another, I think, five years, the airlines say. Um, you know, refineries pushing more towards um, diesel production to to account for that. And we also have the, you know, we have economic recession, which, of course, is not good for diesel demand. And we have, I think, what people expect to be potentially other factors playing into this, other um, unknowns that could also, you know, trigger um further drops in distillate demand from industry so so as i as i think through that i begin to wonder wh- what is the um what is the impact as opec supply begins to come back are we just piling more onto an already oversupplied distillate market and and how does the refining industry deal with that yeah no i mean you 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 raise a lot of the the the, the key questions there for the products complex, um, 
you know the the you're right about jet jet i think universally looks looks very weak and is going to stay pretty weak going forward because there's going to be a lot of nervousness about international travel long haul travel um i would say uh you know the 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 jury is out i would say on on diesel because although you're right we're looking at fairly tepid recovery, tentative recovery in a macroeconomic uh, basis going forward. A lot of uncertainty there. There is a lot of stimulus being pumped into the global economy, you know, something like 12, 13 trillion dollars just in the major developed economies, uh, China and the the other G7, you know, something between 10 and 20 percent of GDP is being pumped in in terms of stimulus. So presumably there's a bit of infrastructure spending there that sort of puts a floor under diesel. But you're right. I mean, there's a lot of new Chinese refining capacity, uh, which is churning out a lot of distillate, a million BD plus uh, of distillate exports. So, yeah, diesel and jet look a bit oversupplied. Gasoline, you'd expect demand to rebound a bit more quickly, uh, not least because of, you know, concerns about public transport, mass transit. Uh, And at the margin, that's probably going to support gasoline demand. Um, So, yeah, there's a very differentiated picture in terms of of products. Uh, There's a bit of support for fuel oil because heavier, sourer barrels have been removed from the market by the Saudis and the Kuwaitis, the Russians and others. so it's there's a lot of moving parts there, um, but I think you know refining margins are you know going to be pretty volatile. Uh, if prices, crude prices are starting to rise again, um, you know it's it's some of this newer capacity, Middle East, Asia Pacific, which may you know steal a march on some of the refineries in in Europe certainly. Yeah, and it's 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 in a sense, isn't it, reminiscent of um, that period, I guess, in the um, early 2010s when we had, you know, the the oil price spike and subsequent drop, and we and we the credit crunch, and we saw a certain amount of refining capacity um, being idled, mothballed, or just plain old shut down. Um, some in Europe. Uh, some in the United States and it, it it feels a little bit doesn't it like you know that perhaps that could happen again again not in you know in in certain regions maybe refining complexes that are um, less um, you know less well positioned from a crude perspective certainly at the moment um, and and perhaps we do see a bit of rationalization um, at the margin I think I think you're absolutely right. And if you if if you're a, a, a refinery in a mature demand region like Europe or parts of North America, perhaps you're you're looking at a situation if you if you don't have access to cheap feedstock and or an outlet in terms of petchem integration, for example, which probably would stand one in good stead, then the the competitive position that you have vis-a-vis some of these product supplies coming out of, as I said, Middle East and uh, new Chinese refineries, which are going to be flowing into the markets, uh, I think there will be consolidation. We had, remember, in the, the early part of the or the, two, the 2010s, we had uh, a lot of perception that plant was going to close in Europe, for example, but some of the, the trading companies stepped in 
and bought up some of that capacity. I'm not convinced that they're going to be quite as keen to step in uh, this time around in 2020 to 2025. It remains to be seen, but I can't help feeling there's going to be capacity rationalization in the mature markets. Yeah, David, thank you. I think that's all we have time for, but that was a great discussion. If you enjoyed this podcast, please do be sure to join in, join in other episodes in our series, Driving Discussions. And for more information on Argus's global refined products coverage, please visit argusmedia.com forward slash oil hyphen products. Thank you.